good evening everyone and welcome to the africa asia podcast the africa we want and tonight uh we are having a different kind of discussion today we will be speaking about football um soccer as a the different name for it and we have a guest tonight uh chris and chido as always is here with us so uh, i will let uh Chris introduce himself uh, and then we'll get started and Chido will also be participating as we go along and uh, we hope to get your feedback and your thoughts about this. Uh, Chris, if you may introduce yourself and we get started. Uh, thank you. Uh, my name is Chris Baraza Mwabe. I'm an advocate of the High Court of Kenya. Um, uh, pertinent to this discussion, I'm a sports, um, sports law practitioner as well and um, also commercial commercial law so probably we'll see an intersection between the sports and commerce and i'm also most importantly a liverpool fan uh, uh it's been my team since i was a young guy not that i'm old yeah. so, <laughs> long story short i think uh, um i'm just trying to cover niche in this area and uh, i'm not doing too badly so let's see Ah, cool, cool. So we don't get it twisted who you support. Hey, uh, Chido, if you could, you could say hi as well, uh, and then we will get started on the discussion. Uh, hi, everyone. It's good to be back. And today we're having, like she said, an unusual discussion, which is also one of my favorite uh, discussions so far. We're going to be talking about soccer, and I, as a as a Manchester United fan, I just said to put it out there to Chris that you still have time to jump ship and support the only team in Manchester. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. And um, the only one not declaring any any alliances to any teams because I'll moderate the discussion. Just yeah, just for independence and transparency in the discussion. So, Chris, tell me. So, um, because of how much football that's played in the world out there and Africa, like, is, there, is it that there's not much talent coming from Africa or why isn't Africa big on this whole <coughs> football and soccer thing? Well, we acknowledge that there are players here and there who make it, but why isn't the whole of Africa, everyone who plays football and soccer making it? Um, first things first, eh? Uh, if we see the, um, the backbone of most big teams around the world and um, some of the top players in the world, most of them either African or have their origins in in Africa. If you look at most of the, uh, for example, the French national team, it's purely made up of Africans. And if you look at the, some of the stars that have, uh, that have been in the, in the top, top tier leagues, probably the English Premier League, for example, you you find the African players are the ones who have lit up the Premier League. So you'd, you'd go back from the days of uh, uh, Nicholas Anelka is black. Um, you'd come to the days of Drogba. You'd come to the days of when Samuel Eto'o came from Spain to the English Premier League. You know, even currently we have uh, uh, Pierre America Aubameyang at Arsenal. We have so we we actually have quality players uh, from these shows. Eh? But the problem is, um, and now if you can juxtapose with the French national team, the problem is on this side, there's no much uh, investment in football. Um, because you see the same same players when they cross the borders and they go to these uh, European teams, 
probably the likes of Pogba, the likes of uh, Mbappe, guys who have African origin and are now in those European countries. The, it's a different ballgame for them because from the wide goal, there's investment in football. Um, so partly, uh, the African federations and the African governments and whatever are to blame, but also we cannot also ignore the fact that um, the laws and the rules in football generally are set up to sabotage us. They are skewed against the African team. So you'd find uh, in as much as in, yes, we have our problems, probably corruption, um, yeah, mostly corruption. The laws and regulations that are there governing football, if you look at them in the, in the they might look uh, to be not biased, but if you look at them keenly, they're actually very biased against the African. So I think that the, the whole concept of today, I'll just be trying to have a discussion, of course, with probing from both of you, and show actually what I'm trying to say in terms of the laws being against the African teams. Um, that's quite interesting. I mean, the observations you've made already. And I think maybe if you could speak to, like, when you say the rules, you know, like how they're skewed against African teams, really, what exactly does it look like? What does it mean? Like, to a lay person looking at it, what what is it that they should be looking at and noticing and saying, you know, right here seems to be something that seems to disadvantage this African team. So if you could, like, speak to that. Um, okay. Uh, first things first, uh, let, me, let me just set, let me just give a background on, okay, so football is a reward for me, yeah, if I think about it in the simplistic uh, manner, it's a reward sport in terms of you get points. Uh, so if you win, get three points. If you lose, zero. If you draw, each of the teams gets one, one point each. But also if you look at it from this other perspective, in terms of there's money when you win. So the further you go into a tournament, the more money you get. Uh, the more trophies you win, the more money the club gets or the, or, or the national team gets. So just to give you a perspective, let's use the, the, biggest, the biggest tournament of them all in the, in the football sector. Uh, and that is uh, the World Cup. Just to give you a perspective, um, the 2018 World Cup, the one that was held in Russia, uh, there were 1 billion viewers. So if you contrast it, let's say, to the Americans, their biggest sport probably is American football. Uh, the Super Bowl, which is the final, quote-unquote, for them, for American football, had only 30 million viewers. So you can see the viewership is already there. Uh, during the 2014 World Cup, the most expensive advertisement, somebody paid an advertisement on, on, that, for, on that World Cup, was $1.1 million. In the, between 2015 and 2018, FIFA made... Um, 1.6 billion US dollars for marketing rights. Because you see now they already have the audience. If they have an audience of 1 billion, then you can easily make this, this crazy amount of money. Now the important bit is this. The winning team gets 38 million US dollars. The runners-up get 28, uh, third place gets 24 million. And then uh, if you get to the group stages, which is where most African teams are eliminated, you get 1.5 million. So you can see this huge amount of money that are involved, but they're all bent on going far in this tournament. So let's just use our case study to be the World Cup. They're based on, they're all bent on you going the further, the further you go, the more money you get. So now, um, I'll try not to be, use a lot of sports jargon, but uh, if, if, if this is where you guys can help, 
if if it gets to a point where it becomes a bit of a sports jargon, you can, you can interject with questions so that they can better explain it. But uh, to get to the World Cup, there's a qualifying process. So, first of all, football is governed from uh, the FIFA level, which is the international federation that governs football all over the world. And then the second tier is the, the various regional confederations. So, for example, Africa has the Confederation of African Football, CAF, that governs football in Africa. And then we have the CONEMBO that covers South America. We have the European Football Association, commonly known as UEFA. They, they run the Champions League, that covers the, the European uh, football. And then from the, from the second tier, we go to the third tier, which is now where we have the national federation. So you find, for example, in Kenya, we have the, um, the Football Kenya Federation, which is a bit shady. Maybe South Africa, we have a bit of stuff, something of the sort. So that is the, that is the, the general structure. Now, the, the, the tier two and tier three get their the mandate from FIFA. Whatever FIFA tells them, they just implement. They rarely come up with anything that is not in tandem with FIFA. That is the first bit. So now, to get to the World Cup, we have a process of qualification. So to qualify, this is what happens. Each confederation, so there's the, let's say for Africa, there's the CAF, for, you, for Europe, there's UEFA, for South, South America, there's Connemore. So for the oceanic countries also have their own. They are supposed to set up their own, their own qualifying systems. So all African countries are put in a, in a, in a sort of tournament, mini tournament, to determine who gets to the World Cup. So now the number of teams from each confederation is already given, it's already fixed. And from there, you can already see how lopsided it is. Because let's say Africa has 54 countries in terms of football, but the number of slots have been given. So from these 54, only five can make it to the World Cup. As opposed to UEFA has 55, and they have 13 slots already. And you go to Cornwall, the South American, they have 10, 10 teams, but they already have five. Half of them can get to the World Cup. So from, from the word go, even when you're organizing your own, uh, your own what, qualification in your own uh, confederations, you're already limited to the number of slots because what, five over 55 is what, an 11th of, of the teams. So you're already messed up at that point in time. Now, how, how they arrived at these slots, these five, these 13, these other five slots is they, 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 they look at what they call the relative strength of the, of the teams in the confederation. So like, let's say, for example, African teams combined, if you do their average or something of the sort, and if you look at, let's say, the South American teams, which are pretty strong, you have the likes of Brazil, you have the likes of Argentina, or if you go to Europe, you have the likes of Belgium, France, Italy, Germany. So, of course, if you do the relative strength of all these confederations, the African teams are already behind. I don't, I don't know if I'm making sense at that point in time. So, in the, the relative strength is determined based on your performance on the preceding three World Cups. So, let's say the next World Cup is 2022. Our number of slots, if it's to be reviewed, will be based on the preceding three World Cups, which is the 2018 World Cup, 2014, and 2010. Which, if you look at them keenly, African teams never really went. So I think 2010, the South African one is where uh, Ghana tried 
and we got to the quarterfinal. So already at that point in time, you're messed up. You the the review will be just a few uh, an exercise in futility because it's never going to change. And and then they introduced this new other system. It's an alternative, the world ranking system. So this world ranking system is based on four categories. One is the point you already have on the table. So for now, the point you already have, there's already a world ranking as of now. The point you already have on the table. Two is the significance of the matches that you play. So significance, if you think about it, what they're saying is, what is the occasion? Is it a World Cup uh, match or is it just a friendly match? And bear in mind that these African teams rarely get fine this World Cup. So you already messed up at the significance of the match in question. And then they have this lopsided uh, third uh, requirement is the expected results of the match based on the past performances. So on the past performances, you're never getting anywhere, but it will be one of the criteria, one of the criteria used to determine your world ranking. And then lastly, the evidence based on your actual result in the match, which you're probably going to lose because you're your, your system is already messed up. You're not training properly. You're not training against top tier uh, top tier teams. You're basically you're not being exposed in terms of football. So you already messed up. And then after you've gotten your so let's say in Africa we get these five teams. So they get to that stage of the World Cup. Now at that stage of the World Cup, they do what you call they put them in pots. So these pots are based on one ranking. So remember, African teams already messed up in terms of ranking. Because let's say for as per last year, 2020, the top African team was Senegal at number 20. When you find the South American teams, they have five of their teams already in the top 10 in the world. The, the number one to six are the, 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 the ones that make up the rest of the, of the, of the oh, sorry, they have four of the top 10. The ones that make up the six are European. So there's no one from Africa or this oceanic country, this minor continent. Minor in terms of football. So now, um, the pot you put in terms of your ranking. So imagine uh, Africa, Senegal is the number one country and it's number 20 in the world. And you have other teams like Belgium, I think was number one at that point in time. So if they're going to use your ranking to put you in pots, you're going to be in probably pot three or four. Now the whole idea about the pots to get to the World Cup, to get to the now to the group stages of the World Cup, is that no two teams in one pot can face each other before the knockout stages. So it, it is to avoid the big boys, the big boys in football facing each other. So you find pot one has the likes of Germany, Argentina, Brazil, France, the big boys, and then pot two has a, a big team that probably didn't do well. So they pot two and this mid-tier team. And then the African teams are in pot three and pot four. So now when you're being put in the groups for the World Cup, you find pot one, let's say, for example, in the last, uh, in the last World Cup 2018, you'd find um, a team like Morocco is in pot, pot four. Morocco and Nigeria are in pot four. So you find a team like Morocco was given... Um, uh, if, I, if I'm not wrong, 
no, a team like Tunisia. Tunisia was in pot three. Tunisia was given uh, Belgium and another strong team. Morocco was given Portugal and Spain. So imagine at the group stages, you've already been given two top tier teams to face. And if, in case you want to move from the group stages to the, to the uh, knockout stages, you have to be top two in your groups. Now, if you're Morocco, for example, in the last World Cup, and you're in a group with Spain and Portugal, definitely Spain and Portugal, uh, bar an act of God, are going to be number one and two. So you're already out at the, at the, at the group stages. You're never going to get to the, to the knockout stages. And now the, the good money comes in at the knockout stages from the from the round of 16 onwards. The more you move, the more money you get, the more money you get. Now, of course, money is not the only thing, but it's very important in football in this terms. Eh? For infrastructure purposes, first of all, we need this money. For exposure purposes, for us to be able to organize tournaments, to be able to to take our, our players on on this to these fancy academies, or to be able to be in academies of our own in our own countries, we need this money. And we are never going to get this money because the way the system is, in long and short story of it, the way the system is set in terms of the laws and the qualifying and the groups and, the, and everything that I've explained, we are never going to get to the money stage of things. We're always going to be at the group stages. We're always going to be the flower, the flower girls in this competition. We are just going to, and occasionally when we get to, that's why you find an African team getting to the quarterfinals is such a big deal. We shouldn't be. Because if you think of the players we produce, Roger Miller, we have a Samoa Gian, we have Khan, we have JJ Okocha, one of the most talented players ever. We shouldn't be getting to just the quarterfinals and, mix and thinking it's a big fit. We should be getting further than this. I hope it makes sense. Yes. Um, it sounds from what, what you're saying is that Africa teams are in a position which is not nice and it's very unlikely that they're coming out of that anytime soon based on the rankings and the rules that you just explained if it's like past performance on um in the world cup not doing well if it's uh, what you explained world rankings not doing well either if it's like the significance of the matches you're playing not doing well either so it it almost seems like it's it's a, you're in a position that is this is not even a rock and a hard place it's 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 literally there's no winning no matter how you try here so do you think do you foresee any changes any any changes to these rules and also uh being a lawyer of course we will ask is there somewhere where anyone can appeal these rules or maybe a tribunal or maybe a body because you see as you said fifa sets the rules and then they cascade it, they cascade them down so if you cascade these rules without them being questioned uh then who is the appeal body like for instance when you look at the world rankings and how it's done and someone wanted to appeal these decisions of like fifa who do you go to so if you could speak about that and then also uh do you see any of these things changing anytime soon uh and i think just out of justice and fairness i mean there are tribunals even for world trade or you know like why even countries two countries dispute at least you can go to wto and you know square it out there doesn't doesn't matter if well it's unlikely that you win if you're a small country but at least you have opportunity to be heard so where is is there an opportunity to be heard for like african teams and 
uh, yeah, the first question I asked, do you foresee any of these things changing anytime soon? And if there is to be change, like based on your experience and your observations, like an African country or an African player or someone aspiring to do this in future, what are the changes that you think might be needed? Uh, yeah, if you could speak to that. Uh, thank you. Um, I think, first of all, um, the, 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 for example, FIFA from time to time, they review their ranking system. But for some strange reason, they never review it to our benefit. It's only something minor is being tweaked, but it's being tweaked to the advantage of all other federations apart from the weaker federations, quote-unquote. But um, something can be done, of course. Um, there's, the, 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 there's various spots. Um, first of all, in the, in the world, we have what we call uh, the code for arbitration of sports. That's like the, the highest, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, it's the Supreme Court for a tribunal, but it's like the Supreme Court for sports disputes. Eh? That's the highest you can go, really. And they and they and they they do they listen to to all manner of disputes, um, not necessarily only in football, but all other sports in the world. But before it gets to that, yeah, uh, we have uh, at the federation at the national federation levels, each each federation ideally should have its own. Dispute, disciplinary, type, disciplinary tribunal. For example, the Kenyan perspective, we have the Sports Disciplinary Tribunal headed by an senior advocate in Kenya. So, uh, and then as you go up um, at the at the um, regional level, for for example, for CAF, CAF also has its own disciplinary tribunal. So you can as well start from the from from the national federation level, move up to the to the to the regional level, then you can also move up to the world level, which is a for the sports for the quarter arbitration for sports. But other than that, we're also seeing um, because there's this new emerging area in sports law where people are merging uh, competition law and uh, and sports. And from this perspective, uh, people are saying that uh, sports ideally, uh, for example, um, let's say the English Premier League. Um, they face no competition from reasonable substitutes. So they are the only ones that offer that type of league in, in that country per se, or in that region. They face, so they're the dominant, they're the dominant uh, group in that, in that region. So competition law can come in in that perspective. And, and people are successfully challenged. Like you can see the, the German, um, the German uh, competition authority uh, challenged uh, uh, rule 40, I think 42, 43 of the Olympic Charter successfully. They successfully cha challenged it and and they, they, they gave themselves that jurisdiction because normally when something like the World Cup is worldwide, so the issue that will come up from a legal perspective is normally jurisdiction. But there's this new trend going about called the effects doctrine. So we say even if this thing is not happening directly in your country, you're feeling the effects. So like the World Cup, even if, let's say, for example, Kenya or Zambia, Zimbabwe, or South Africa decide to take it up, you can say even though the World Cup is not taking place in our country, even though we know football is governed from Zurich in Switzerland, we are feeling the effects. And we can, so the effects doctrine allows successfully these competition bodies, the competition bodies, to, to take up the matter and give, and give rulings on them. 
And if now the football side of the football regulators, the likes of FIFA and your federations have a problem, they're the ones who pick it up. You already made a ruling. They're the ones who pick it up and challenge it in this other jurisdiction. And then there, thirdly, we see the normal courts, quote unquote, uh, taking up also this sports dispute. So you can there's a way you can you can attach it to another angle and get and get a hearing. For example, the European Court of Justice, there's a famous case, the Bosman ruling. So basically the Bosman ruling came up with the Bosman transfer. So right nowadays, the likes of Lionel Messi moved on a free transfer from Barcelona to PSG just recently, a week ago. And it's because their contract had effectively ended. So previously, what used to happen, when you came to the tail end of your contract, you were still bound to that, to that team until they decided to let you go. But Nowadays, you're allowed, if you're not going to renew your contract, then you're the last, you're the last uh, I think, six months or something of your contract. You're allowed to negotiate with other teams and to move on free, on a free contract, what we call a Bosman contract. Bosman was actually a player. He had come to the end of his, his contract. His team was still holding on to him. He went to the European Court of Justice, but he went under the competition laws. He said it's restricting his free movement his free movement of other, he's offering a service in terms of business. He's restricting his free movement and he was actually able to get a hearing. So there's so many avenues. It's just a matter of deciding which one works best as a legal practitioner. Mostly at advice, I think a legal practitioner would be best place to take up the matter as opposed to a, to a sportsman or a, because a legal practitioner is able to look at the pros and cons and decide this, this jurisdiction. Basically, you're doing a legal forum shopping thing, but you're able to decide this jurisdiction will give me a, a better chances of overturning this thing as opposed to this other jurisdiction. So there are, there are options you can explore. Uh, interesting, uh, Chris, very interesting perspective, especially looking at it from like competition law, you know, dominant position, abuse of power, you know, like how a monopoly can abuse their power. There's actually a lot of that, you know, uh, because I would imagine that if if you're the dominant you, you hold the dominant position then the next thing that you can easily do is abuse that power but i think these are very interesting discussions we're having chido i don't know if you have a question but it it, it, it will be interesting to hear other emerging areas of law uh, that are coming to the sports world you know like what you're saying uh jurisdiction uh forum shopping i would assume even the i don't know about if the international laws that deal specifically with football so that at least the choice of law is it remains the same for all jurisdictions or the laws applicable the forums might change but maybe the rules remain the same so you can speak to that you know, i don't know if you have any question and then chris you can give your closing remarks and any thoughts that you may have additional thoughts that you may have on the topic okay uh before chris comes in i just wanted to say wow that was quite uh a lot to take in, especially from a person who just watches soccer but really doesn't follow <laughs> up to know the the happenings behind. But I, I I'm I'm going to to ask you a question. Uh, well, I'm going to say it, it's a statement, more a question, whatever. Uh, but it's to pick your mind and to nudge you a little bit more. 
you have said that you know there are these rules and there's um, what we can call red tape that uh, sort of makes it so difficult for African teams to excel in in football, right? But then I'm 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 taking it from this perspective of a lay person who's just at home and constantly switches on the television to watch a, a game of football. African, I'm going. I I don't mean to offend anyone, but I mean this in the um, nicest way possible. It's really hard to watch because it's very boring. Number one, number two. Uh, I feel like I'm I'm thinking right. Some of the reasons why most of these teams are not performing so well, it has a lot to do with underfunding, right? I'm speaking from my country's perspective. We've had instances where, you know, not only the soccer national team, not only the men's team, but the men's, the women's team, the cricket team, the rugby team, like all these other teams pull out of, you know, um, competitions because of underfunding. Or you have the players, um, you know, staging a show during training when they are supposed to be preparing for um what do you call it a competition so my 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 issue is isn't it a, isn't it also something to do with the fact that we are not prioritizing our soccer teams or our sports teams as a continent because i understand how we expect you know fifa and you know the confederation bodies to to do you know so much for us but isn't it also a domestic problem because i'm thinking a, a person who is supposed to be uh, competing in the let's say the world cup trials you, you know the, those rounds that happen first you knock each other out before people who the qualifying games right a person who's supposed to be playing in those games goes to camp they are under they are not they haven't been paid right they they don't have enough equipment they are not being properly fed do you think that that person is in the right frame of mind to actually get onto the field and play let's not talk about that only let's talk about the chaos that generally happens in Africa as a continent, right? I'm going to give an example of what's happening in Mozambique. A lot of, a lot of uh, political instability. There are a lot of people that, that are dying. So my question is, do you think that the Mozambican team would, even if it's given a chance to go and play at the, at the FIFA, you know, the, the next World Cup, do you think those people are in the right frame of mind to actually compete and make a name for themselves? Um, so. Uh, the point that I'm trying to to bring out is I think as a continent, we have got a lot of structural issues. We also have our own red tapes that make it so hard for us to excel in sport. And another thing, I just wanted to, I love uh, this whole conversation around colonization and, and, and all this. And I'm going to talk about individual players making it, right? So I, and I don't really understand the concept of, I, I, when I say I don't understand it, I mean, I don't know the lingo where people get to, you know, they are bored and they start playing for these other teams and all these other things, right? And I, I think France has done a good job in assimilating African players in France. Let's not talk about what's wrong with uh, uh, France colonization plans and programs and all these other things that we've lamented on this podcast. But I feel that most Anglo-speaking players 
have been neglected in a way by their colonial master, whatever that we are going to call that. So what then has to happen? Like, can we, uh, is France bad for doing that? Because I understand that, yes, if they take, um, let's say Samuel Eto'o and, and take him to France, it's going to benefit France, quite all right. It has nothing for Cameroon. But I'm asking, isn't it then better if we're looking at player level and individual level and not at country level? And then again, I, I bring this whole question of, are we, not, are we doing enough as a continent to actually make sure that we are competitive enough so that when we start lamenting all this, all the rules, the procedures, we know that given a chance, we actually have got something to show for it. It's, it's just to pick people's minds. I'm not trying to start a revolution. <laughs> okay, um, so I think if I forget you correctly, I wouldn't bury my head in the sand by just uh, 100% blaming the rules and regulations. Of course, we, we have seen the African federations, for example, um, speaking from experience, the African, the Kenyan federation. Uh, for example, I think they spent 100 million um, the Kenya shillings on supposedly buying um, a broadcasting fund or to broadcast uh, like the one with the next DSTV news. And the one, it was a white elephant project. The one was never bought. Or oh, we've had stories of players actually, uh, when they come to play for the national teams, they are asked to use their own money, uh, then they'll be refunded later. And then I'm refunded, and it's, a, it's also at, at that point in time you're asking a player to pay for his own airfare or for his own transport to his own country to pay for the national team. It's already an anomaly. And you also have uh, countries that uh, uh, one of the most corrupt football leaders in was a CAF president. Um, I don't think it's proper to mention names in this podcast, but he's known for you know he's known for for corruption. In terms of sports because there's a lot of money in football but what i'm trying to say is uh, having these problems we are we there are those countries that manage to try have a semblance of normalcy or sanity in their football and they manage to actually get to a point where they can play in the world cup so for example we have the the ivory the ivory coast team that had the likes of dropper uh these guys managed to bring the country together and stop a civil war they overcame a civil war. They overcame all this corruption that probably is, uh, is riddling their federation. They are star performers for their clubs. They have gotten to the World Cup. Now, these guys who have beaten these sports, when they get to this stage of qualifying for the World Cup, the regulator who is supposed to be fair, who is supposed to be unbiased, now become, turns to be the person who is actually the most biased of them all. Because, you know, at least these types of... Uh, problems that we can physically see, like if there's a civil law in the country, or there's corruption in that country, or there's corruption in that federation, there are things you can actually pick out and point out, and those who are brave enough can do something about it. You can go to court, you can have your various anti-corruption agencies investigate, you can, you can do peacekeeping missions, you know, those are things you can actually point out and do something about. As opposed to, this is a problem that is certainly set out in the law. So unless you're a legal practitioner or you, you have been, you have a keen interest in this spot that you actually go about looking for the laws and you're actually thinking about it, you will never know. But your team, is, even probably the, the various federations and the players and the coaches 
have never thought about it in that perspective. But if you think about it, if you look at it, you can apportion blame to also the, the laws and regulations. And when I wrote an article, I have a, I have a medium um, a medium page, medium is a platform we put our articles. That's where this whole conversation came from. When I was getting comments from, from various people, somebody outrightly told me, no, when you give Africans money, they misuse it. And my answer to that was, first of all, change this laws. Let us get to the latter stages of this competition. Let us earn this money. Then watch us waste it, then you can say that. Because the assumption is, we will get to these latter stages. Or the assumption is, we misuse money from the get-go. That is an assumption that has been built over time. There are some federations in Africa or some countries in Africa that actually run their sports well. They might be few, but they actually run their sports well. Give them a fair chance as the regulator at FIFA. And the other thing you say was in terms of the French national team. It's actually a good thing that they're doing. They're taking players, uh, players are deciding to play for them because of the better facilities and uh, better money, of course. And uh, I wouldn't blame them, but it all boils down to the fact that there's more money there, there are better facilities. And where does this money come from? It's generated from these various tournaments. Now, if these African countries are never going to get this money generated by these various tournaments, they're never going to be off. They're, they're never going to to be able to offer these players who are deciding to go to play for France a better opportunity. If you if you, you talk if you read on this, um, some of these players that decide to play for this uh, these teams like France, uh, I think somebody like Dele Ali plays for the England national team. He's actually of Nigerian origin. His full name is Bamidele Ali. You if you talk to them. Some of them wish that they could play for their motherland. They're very nationalistic, very passionate about it. But once they get to think of the, 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 the incentives of playing for their motherland, there little to no incentive. Then let's face it, the, 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 the chief incentive for, for people really out here is the economic incentive. So if this country, they already have a bias on them in terms of they're going to waste this money, they already put uh, bottlenecks in terms of the rules and regulations. They'll never get this money. They'll never be able to offer any incentive to these people. They'll never be able. Somebody thinks of why would I go play on a on a sand on a sandy pitch as opposed to playing on a carpeted pitch, you know? So they'll never be able to offer this incentive. The, as for the anglophone, um, a country is being neglected. What I would say to that, and probably be pretty harsh, is that they owe us no favors, really. If you think about it in terms of football. Yes, they they colonized us. They took our resources. They they did all that is wrong. But in terms of sports, really, we they don't owe us any favors in terms. And if you look at the the type of the type when they were colonizing us, that the, the the system they used and the system the French used clearly is what has informed their actions in terms of leaving us alone in terms of sports, because the French people use assimilation. So you probably became a pseudo-Frenchman. You had to learn French, their mannerisms. So you become a Frenchman. So it's very easy for you, for them even to cross borders, for them to help you in terms of that. Those The likes of Paul Pogba can easily also consider themselves as Frenchmen. But for us Anglophone, it was, you are the, there was no assimilation really. You are, you're, beho- you're, you're lower than them. They were exploiting you. So even in terms of 
their thinking in terms of helping you, even from a sport perspective, it it can't be there because from the one to go, they were the master, you were the slave. And I repeat again, I don't think they owe us any favor in terms of sports. We are we are capable of running ourselves. Maybe help, but they don't owe us any favors. I don't know if I answered. Yes, you have. Thank you so much. That was quite detailed. That was really detailed, actually. Yes, and Chris, what, what was your question again? Uh, Chris, I forget what it was, but <laughs> but I think what we should do because we are running out of time, we will we should have a follow up discussion, especially on the the whole different concepts of um, Africa and the perspective mindset that you're just going to waste the money, but then also the real issue of corruption, which we've spoken about, that affects Africa in almost everything. I mean. This is sports we are speaking about when you speak about investments, foreign aid, anything. Corruption just seems to be at the very core of it. But uh, thanks, Chris, for coming by today. And we hope uh, everyone who listens to this, if you have any comments, if you have any thoughts, just share them. And we will have uh, follow-up discussions now that we have a very... Uh, as someone who is very interested in the sports law and sports practice uh, perspective so that we can mix it up in our podcast here but thanks everyone for listening in and uh chris you can say your uh, final goodbye chido you can do as well and from me it's uh, thank you for listening today for me is um thank you for welcoming me to this podcast um for more of this discussion i've said i have a medium page there's an article i posted my medium page chris moabe um, I mean, a green t-shirt in case they have a Chris Morbis out there. Um, you can just, you can follow the discussion. There are comments, you can comment, you can have the discussion and probably get a better perspective because we, we had only 30 minutes. So there's, there's so much more and so much detail that would go, I'd go into and tie the loose ends. But um, I'm happy to have been in, on this podcast and I hope to be here again if you guys would have me, if I did a good job in here. But thank you. Uh, today was really fun for me. Um, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. I think, uh, Christine, what we can do is when we post the, the session to then put down the link to his um, media page so that it becomes easier for our listeners to also get a hold of him. But basically, that's all from me, and I look forward to next week's discussion. Cool. Thanks, everyone, and, and goodbye.